0: Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Thanks so much for joining me today here on KPCG Radio. You can listen anywhere to any of our shows at kpcg.fm. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That is first Peter three verse 15. Now the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong was tested all the time in this area. People wanted to find out how he would give an answer. And like it says there, an answer given in meekness and fear an answer based on what God teaches. Back in 1936, Mr. Armstrong taught some pretty unique truths to some shocked audiences in Oregon at some personal appearance campaigns. Now, if we're being blunt with ourselves, We could probably admit that we would have never thought of describing these subjects the way Mr. Armstrong did. We would have never found the truth of these matters. One night during these campaigns in 1936 in Oregon, Mr. Armstrong was speaking about the reward of the saved What is salvation? What do we receive if we are saved? As Mr. Armstrong writes here in chapter 36 of his autobiography, available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. This is a book that is so full of relevant lessons for all of us today. Chapter 36, Mr. Armstrong writes, most people, of course, Suppose the reward of the saved is a matter of destination going to heaven. In other words, a matter of where instead of what we are to be. You've probably heard a lot about that idea going to heaven, but as what? Obviously we'll, live forever, but will we be humans? Will we be angels? Will we be gods or something else? Somehow people who believe in this idea of heaven don't seem to know. And also what will we be doing in that scenario? It seems like the idea is just to lounge on the clouds and strum on harps. Not a whole lot of action, nothing much too interesting in that idea of heaven. So if that's really the reward of the saved, if if that's really what we get for salvation, it actually seems pretty underwhelming. Now, Mr. Armstrong had to explain to these growing audiences in Oregon the truth about such a subject. He says here, I had shown that Jesus Christ came to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, whatever the promises made to the fathers, Jesus confirmed them as the reward of the saved. Then I showed by both old and new Testament scriptures that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the fathers. Next, starting with the 12th chapter of Genesis, I showed that Abraham was not promised heaven, but rather this earth for an everlasting possession. The words everlasting possession simply mean eternal life. The same promises were re-promised to Isaac and Jacob. This was confirmed by Christ who preached eternal life as the gift of God. So that's a subject for another day in some ways. Abraham being the man through whom all mankind who has ever lived or will ever live can receive salvation, can receive the spiritual uh, promises, not problems. So Genesis 12 shows that we can receive earth just like Abraham did. It says we'll receive earth and it says we'll also receive eternal life. Now the Philadelphia church of God today teaches based on the Bible that the kingdom of God will be established on this earth. Jesus Christ will return to the earth and set up his one world government over the earth and human beings transformed into members of the God family can be a part of that government and have positions of authority within that government. So the kingdom of God will be on earth and those who are saved will Receive the earth as part of their reward. That is what your Bible says. We will receive earth, and it says we will receive eternal life. Romans 6, verse 23 talks about the gift of God being eternal life. It's a gift, it's not automatic like Mr. Armstrong wrote here in chapter 36 of his autobiography, yet nearly every professing Christian believes exactly the opposite. Most believe the wages of sin is eternal life. In hellfire, they do not believe eternal life is the gift of God, the reward of the saved. They believe we already possess eternal life. They believe the pagan Plato's teaching that we are immortal souls living in a fleshly body, which is merely our temporary cloak we have put around us. So Mr. Armstrong really dug into these scriptures and God helped him see the full meaning. If eternal life is a gift of God through Jesus Christ, that means that once we, believe and follow God, we are on track to receiving that gift. It means we didn't already have it. Now, again, how many of us would have figured this out on our own through our own in depth study? God, of course, helping him every step of the way. But eternal life is a gift. It's not automatic. We don't have it from birth. It's not part of the human existence. Mr. Armstrong looked at Hebrew words and Greek words and their meanings as translated in the Bible. The Hebrew word translated soul is nefesh, which means animal life. Mortal existence, which means that life can die. So every time the Bible talks about man having a soul, it's talking about physical life, life that dies just like animal life. Mr. Armstrong wrote, the very word soul has the opposite meaning to eternal life. The expression immortal soul is as impossible and self-contradictory As that silly poem circulated some 50 years ago about the barefoot boy with shoes on who stood sitting in the grass while the rising sun was setting in the West as it rained all day that night. (laughs) I've never heard that silly poem, but you get the idea. All kinds of contradictions an immortal soul animal life that dies being immortal it's just an utterly ridiculous belief when you look at it the way God looks at it the Bible says the soul that sins it shall die Ezekiel 18 and that's in verses 4 and in verse 20 verses 4 and 20 two different verses say the same thing. It's as if God knew this would have to be repeated quite a lot for us to really understand. So, these teachings for Mr. Armstrong are truly revolutionary in the religious world. The fact that the reward of the saved is earth, not heaven. And that eternal life isn't inherent within us, but it's a gift of God. That is just absolutely incredible. God revealed that truth to Mr. Armstrong, but he had to really work for it. Six day, six months of night and day study digging into the deepest depths to explore the highest heights of God's truth and that vision and that hope. Mr. Armstrong was such a hope filled man because he knew what the Bible said. He knew those promises during this time in 1936, While Mr. Armstrong was hosting these personal appearance campaigns in Oregon, he offered $5 to anybody who could show any statement in the Bible that promised that the saved would go to heaven. So Matthew 5 verse 3, this is the the verse that someone eventually took him up on that challenge with. Of course, with $5 being offered and that being a lot of money back in those days, someone was going to challenge Mr. Armstrong. So a teacher came up to Mr. Armstrong. She pointed out Matthew five, verse three, which says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Mr. Armstrong told her to read verse five. So just two verses later, isn't it important not to just cherry pick verses that align with what we already believe? Shouldn't we get the context of the passage and actually believe what God wrote, what he recorded in the Bible for us? Matthew five, verse five says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So how does that work? How can the poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven while the meek inherit the earth? Now, either these are two different (laughs) rewards for two very similar groups of people, or you have to have a little bit of an English lesson. Mr. Armstrong gave this teacher who challenged him an English lesson. So the kingdom of heaven, that does not mean that God's kingdom is in heaven. It's of heaven. It's from heaven. It comes down from heaven. It has God's stamp of approval on it. While God remains in heaven, his kingdom comes down to the earth. That kingdom as Mr. Armstrong explained is owned or ruled by heaven. The word of denotes ownership. So the hev- the kingdom of heaven is not in heaven. It's the same as saying the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not in God. It's not in heaven, but it is of God and it is of heaven. Isn't it important to just be well-rounded in education too, to understand God's truth. Mr. Armstrong's out here teaching English lessons too, because that made the truth of the matter here so much more clear. But again, Mr. Armstrong knew all of this because he was dedicated in his study of the Bible. It reminds me of a passage from the epistles of Peter, a living hope booklet also available to you for free at the in which PCG Pastor General Gerald Flurry writes, perhaps we think of the Apostle Peter as being bombastic. All personality. That is far from accurate. Mr. Flurry explains in this booklet how Peter quoted the Old Testament 23 times in just 105 verses in his first epistle. So, basically, almost one, once every four verses, Peter was quoting the Old Testament. Mr. Flurry writes here, Peter knew the Bible probably more than any of the other apostles. He was much more than just personality. A major reason why he excelled, was because of his understanding of scripture. His writings are filled with old Testament quotes. Romans 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Peter had strong faith based on a deep knowledge of the Bible. And as Mr. Flurry continues, this is exactly how Peter was able to give an answer So Mr. Armstrong was able to give an answer. Peter was able to give an answer. And Peter exhorted the brethren in God's church to be ready to give an answer as well. Again, that was in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Peter wrote that verse. Peter set an example of hope. Mr. Flurry wrote here on page six of the Peter booklet, one of the major reasons, or excuse me, he wrote his profound Bible understanding stirs and inspires us today. Why was Peter chosen as chief apostle? One of the major reasons was that he knew the Bible. Are you known as a person who really knows his or her Bible? Christ said we would be held accountable for every word. The Bible is Jesus Christ in print. What a mind jarring blessing this book is for God's very elect. We must know the mind of God and be deeply grounded in the Bible in order to have the hope we need. So all of this relates back to God's work as done by supporters of the Philadelphia Church of God today. Because this work is delivering a message of hope. So that hope starts in all of us individually as we build our hope through deep Bible study. And then we all band together to support this message of hope that goes out to the entire world. We need hope to even be able to do the work. Doing God's work is too difficult if we don't have hope. Mr. Flurry writes about that here in the epistles of Peter, a living hope. We have to have hope to do the work. That hope comes from Bible study. That hope allows us to give an answer. Mr. Armstrong and the apostle Peter were outstanding examples of being able to give an answer. And they were shining examples of hope. This is the kind of hope available to all of us. There's so much truth that all of us can understand. God's work makes that truth plain today. We have the Bible, and then we have so much literature to expound on the truth in the Bible. And it helps us so much in our everyday lives. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time.